Hello, my name is Anna Geraldo Kerr, and I'm the founder and president of Shades of Success. Uh, my company is a learning and development organization. We help leaders and mentors be the best they can. Nowadays, we have an uncertainty everywhere, and leaders need help, and that's what we do. Good morning, good morning. Oh my God, I just did it. I literally, like I go, this is what, what I said. I tell everybody, don't say your a preference of a day. And then of course, I just did it myself. Oh, kill it. <laughs> Hi, my beautiful friend. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello. How are you doing? Uh, I am just, I, I'm gonna love this. This is just like, you know, how, lo how long do you have? Do you have like, have you booked the whole day? <laughs> There's so much to talk about. I can't wait. I, 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 like, I, this is one of those things where um, I get to, I mean, I literally am so lucky because I get to be surrounded by so many amazing people doing so many amazing things. And I go, and you have such a rich, rich, rich background. So I'm, before I started like, just lushing and just getting to know like what's going on in your life, I want everyone to know who you are. Like, where did Anna come from? I mean, how, I mean, how did you evolve to coming up with this business that you have? Okay, uh, that's a big one because I, Anna, before Anna was Anna, Anna was Giovanna. That's my, actually my given name. Um, and uh, when I became an immigrant into the States, I, I was born in Peru. And when I moved to the United States, Giovanna became a handful. Granted that this was almost 40 years ago. So I assimilated and I shortened that to Anna. So you're getting the exclusive here. Okay. <laughs> Although my Facebook page does have my full real name. Uh, but so um, I was, you know, I was, I was part of, um, my story is kind of part of the American dream. If you think, you know, like the. Okay. the wait, but wait a second now, but I, I, we're definitely going to get there. Why Anna? It was still preserving part of my original name. So I didn't want to become, you know, a different name. Like uh, it was just okay. I'm going to preserve some of my a piece of my name, and it was the easiest. I thought that it would be the easiest to remember and to pronounce, but still, I get Anna or Anna, and you know, there's and I made peace with it, but um, is what it is. So so I am reconsidering, and this is another exclusive to going back to Giovanna just to reclaim my identity. Oh, I like that. So, yeah. so I'm Jody Tatiana, and um, uh, Jody hard for a lot of my family members to say Jody. It's like it's like it's like the, oh, it's like so it's weird. It's and it seems so funny and easy that it's like four little words, but it's really hard for a lot of people to say. It. But Tatiana flows very quickly, so I understand that whole entire concept. So everyone always asks, like, what would you prefer, Jody Tatiana, Jody? Like, you know what? In America, Jody. Overseas, Tatiana. Let's call it a day. As long as the name is nice, I'll go with it. I hear you. And that's been pretty much the story of my life in America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, my dad was the first one to come. Uh, I followed just after high school. And the idea was for me to go to, to, go to college and to do, you know, the usual things that uh, immigrants do. But I actually uh, decided to start working first. So I, what I did is I started to work and I wanted to go to NYU, New York University. I did not realize it was so expensive and we didn't have any money. We we're working class immigrants, right? So I worked for a while, so I went to school after. I saved money, I went for one trimester, one semester, and 
that was it. I ran out of money. So what I did is, uh, and it was my first entrepreneurial move, according to me. Um, I worked for NYU, so they paid for my tuition. So I did it. I did it working full time in six years, but I got a great education. And that actually led me to go to Babson College for my MBA, where um, I was very curious about how business and technology intersected. That this is back in the 90s when the internet was kind of still just becoming, you know, a thing. So I went to Babson, did my MBA in strategy and technology. And from there, I went into uh, technology analysis. I was a market researcher. And it was another way of kind of honing my entrepreneurial skills because I had clients. I had to bring my own research. I had to do my own consulting. I had to uh, become visible, the visible expert, and, you know, interviewed everywhere, uh, different magazines and in the media. Uh, so all those steps prepare me to become who I am now. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So it was loving being a tech analyst. And then 9-11 happened. 9-11, on 9-11, I was laid off. Okay. And this was because um, the internet bubble was just burst. Yeah, it just went, you know, imploded. And it just happened that the date was, you know, it was just a coincidence that the date was on the day of 9-11-2001. It was the same day. Uh, so, and, and we knew, you know, being a good analyst that I was, uh, I knew that my job was on the line. So I was ready, actually, when they came to lay me off. And, and I was not even con- concerned about it because I was looking at the towers going up in flames in New York City. And I had worked at one time in one of the towers. So my life in that moment changed completely. And in that very moment, I decided, I said, we can be here today or not. I am going to do, if I have one more year, two more months, or 10 more years to live, which we don't know, uh, I, we didn't know at the time, I am going to do what I like to do. And what I like to do, I love to do, is learn about people's behaviors and how they can improve. Because I wanted to go through, I was going through that process myself. So that is what started me on the path of actually becoming my own boss, creating my own company. And so I shifted from market research and analysis of technologies to an analyzing people, analyzing interactions, analyzing behaviors. And 2002, I started. I, I actually, in 2005 is when I actually really committed and I incorporated my business. But, but it's been a while. So it's kind of like, in a nutshell. No, there's, there's so much to dive into. All right, so let's just like uh, rewind a little bit in regards to um, most people, most people would have seen the problem of I got into school, a great school, um, and I am first generation to be in this, I mean, look, I'm, I've immigrated to a new country, I'm learning a different language, I run out of money, they would have gone back to their, like some people would have gone back to their original country, or they would have just taken on a job and just made money and that's it. What was that moment for you where you're like, I can't stop, won't stop. Like I, I do that hashtag all the time. Can't stop, won't stop. You could have literally just taken on a job. Yes. Did whatever it took to get back to school. Why? There was, and I think this is part of personality and also part of maybe is um, what I've learned from my family. Um, my family, one way or another, has learned to survive. We've always been working class in both sides of my family. 
And if we didn't have something, we will figure out some how to get it done. It was like the lack of didn't mean it was a factor. So we know, okay, we know where not to go, but what about this other set? You know, always the outside of the box thinking. And to me, having to, um, pretty much it was a shock to know how much education, private education costs in America. I was like, okay, this is good for you to village. And it hasn't changed then, nor will it change anytime. Exactly. Oh gosh, yes. And that's why I'm more than ever committed to, to pre create pro a profitable business because I know this is something that, that will give me leverage when my son goes to college and so forth. So, but to me, it was, um, there is a sense of stubbornness and my, you know, and, and also there is a bit of, there's gotta be a way there's that resourcefulness being resourceful is something that there is a theme throughout my life in different ways, whether it's a big goal or whether it's a little goal, or even when I want to get away with what movie I want to watch tonight. I mean, it, it just shows up in different ways, you know? So it's like, okay, there's gotta be a way. And I was just thinking about it, and I had, somehow I found out that companies paid for tuition. And I said, oh, okay, what about if they pay for, you know, so, so that's how that worked out. And it didn't come easy, I have to tell you. I had to work full time so, to earn the, the benefit, and I had to go to school on, at night and on weekends. And it took me six years. You know, and I didn't have the best grades, which to, to, to me at this point, you know, having been a straight-A student throughout high school, you know, it was a little bit of a hit in my ego, but, you know, but I, the goal, the long-term goal was graduate and get an education, right? So, you know, that, that's what it took. So then you decided on being an analysis. Yeah. I mean, I mean, was there someone in your family that was there? What was it that, that what was the interesting point of being that? I mean, for me, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I love metrics. I mean, whenever an article has metrics, I believe it more. I mean, there's like, a, you've done your due diligence and you've researched and you've talked to people and you've engaged. And, and for me, that article means that much more. When I was in the media, it was like, if it doesn't have metrics, then I don't even like, I can't even pay attention to it. So why did you go that route? Because it just seems like such a, um, as some people would assume, it's such a, such a geeky role and also an introvert role. I know you're not an introvert. Um, and so how did you find this to be your space? Oh, the, the analyst job that I took after, okay, grad school. Well, that, um, that has another interesting twist, which also will be an exclusive. You're getting, you know, I'm going to, I'm writing a book, by the way. I'm writing my little, you know, memoirs and the nuggets. This is good because it's just teasing. This snippets. is a teaser. This, this is a snippet. <laughs> so right after Babson, uh, as I was graduating from Babson, and I know we have that in common, um, we, uh, I, uh, I had, you know, met my, who is now my husband. So um, I got a job offered going back to New York to one of the very prestigious consultant firm. And then he proposed. So I had two proposals. So I had to choose whether going back to New York and have a long term, you know, long distance rather relationship or look at other options, right? Here I go again. And so this job as an analyst came my way. That, so I said, okay, what else can I do that I really want to do? And so they, there, was an opportunity, there was an opportunity with IDC, International Data Corp, and I took it. Now, the job of an analyst, I'm glad you pointed that out, that is, um, you know, what people may think of it is more, is analysis, yes, but how do you get your analysis? You have to talk to people. You have to talk. 
uh, have surveys. You have to interact to get information, right? So there's a lot of building relationships. There's a lot of looking at patterns. There's a lot of asking questions before you get to analyze and crunch information. And to me, that was an ideal job because it allowed me to, I love asking questions. And that's what I do a lot of my work, asking questions because then we can connect dots and then we can get to a point, right? So, so the analyst job was amazing. I travel everywhere. I, you know, I went to, um, to Redmond, to Microsoft, to all the big technology uh, companies. Germany went to SAP. I was quoted in a Business Week. I was interviewed by 60 Minutes, PBS, New York Times. I mean, all of that because everybody wanted to know what this internet thing was and how it was going to pan out. And it was, you know, the wild west of technology. And to me, that was always fascinating because when I was back in, in New York, when we were just starting with technology, I could see how disruptive it was going to become. And I was like, okay, I need to figure this out because I don't know. I just know how to type on a word processor. This is back then. Now this is going to go way beyond that. And it has, right? So it was an ideal job because I was able to explore as a consumer, but I was also educating the market and my clients. How did that get to the point? So, I mean, I, I'm not skipping over the masters, um, but being um, from Peru, um, assimilating into a new country, uh, getting into the school that you, I mean, like your dream schools. How did that get to you to that point where now you own your own business? I mean, what was that moment of time where everything you had done had changed or had evolved? I should say not changed, but evolved. And now you decided to do what you're doing now. Like, I mean, walk me through the steps of like, what was that time and what was that moment where you were like, it's the, it's, it's the, the change. It, there's a change and I need to be part of the change. Okay. Uh, I'll preface that with um, something that is, uh, I believe it was a key factor that it may happen to other entrepreneurs or not. I don't know. But to me, what happened was that I was the first in my family to go to college. So I had no guidance. And for the most part, we usually see that as a, as a deficit, right? As, as a liability. Yes, and it could also be an, an asset because I had no restrictions, no limitations. So what I had to do was uh, figure things out on my own. You know, I started with in a, a career in banking, then I went to healthcare, then I went to technology, and I was kind of like trying things out, better jobs, better functions, better money. But I was like just trying to find my way. So that was a critical piece for me to be able to feel free to explore because I really didn't know where I was going. You know, if I would have had perhaps a, somebody in my family who had some, a career, I may have been influenced. Oh, you know, in this family, we do this. In this family, so go there first, right? Uh, I didn't have that. So, I might, you know, I was just like open to anything. So that was the first thing. And the moment when I decided to go into my, on my own was actually right after 9-11. And I was, I, I was laid off. I was shook up by what had happened. And I really wanted to do something that meant more to me, right? And, and I started to, again, experiment being a consultant. 
I did a little bit more market research for, for a company that had laid me off. It was like the first few months. It's funny how that works. It always, it, I mean, I hear so many stories about that. Um, and I started to, I tested, I even tried to see, I, I tried different uh, possibilities. You know, I piloted, do I want to go into education? You know, I know Spanish, so maybe that's something. No, I, I can speak it. I don't know how to teach it. You know, do I want to invest that? So, so I started to explore. And by the end of 2003 into 2004, I had, I said, no, I'm, first of all, I'm not going back to corporate. I've already done this, been there, done that. It felt somewhat restrictive and, and not, um, and I hear this uh, often from some other entrepreneurs who've been in corporate. Um, and I had, I had a lot of ideas and, and, and I had a vision for what I wanted to do and how I can contribute. But I was kind of still blurry. So I said the one way I can pursue that is by being on my own. So it was almost like a, a sequence of events and reflections that took that happened over time. But definitely the trigger was my layoff and, and the, the coincidence that it, it hit on 9-11. You know, so that made me think, how am I, so it was just like very cathartic, a very cathartic moment for me. Um, and over time, I've been refining it. I, you know, I've not, I mean, I have not been, never reconsidered going back to corporate. And it's not because um, there's, you know, it's just not, I don't see it as a fit for where I, I, I want to be able to, to me, entrepreneurship, aside from being, uh, you know, being profitable, of course, it is an opportunity to make your mark in a, in a much bigger way because you are in control. You can, you can decide how, what kind of influence you want to have. So to me, that, that's something that you don't get in corporate, you know? So who is your best client? I mean, who's the person that you are helping the most? Oh, yes. And, 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 walk us through, and walk us through the step of like, I come in, I'm that perfect client. I go, what's that process that I'm going through when I'm working with you? Well, a perfect client is generally uh, a person who is a lifelong learner, somebody who is open to continue to learn. It could be 50, they could be 25. I usually work with mid-careers to senior leaders, but I've also done, you know, first-generation college students, you know, undergrads, you know, grad students. I mean, I, I love to work with a range of people because they all have their strengths and they also have their pockets of influence. So um, now, lifelong learning is a key requisite. It's also someone who is... Uh, looking at engaging, if we, whether it's coaching or training or facilitation from a partnership standpoint, okay? What I often see, and this is probably 75% of the time that I talk to folks, groups or individuals, actually I was on, on coaching calls yesterday and uh, very accomplished people were coming to me saying, tell me what to do. And that is an indication that um, they still need to do a little bit more digging. Because when you're looking, that would not be, uh, that will be a no on my list of an ideal client. Because if you're coming in with a mindset that someone else is going to tell you what to do, you're not owning the process of learning and growing. So own the process of learning and growing. Be a partner here. You know, you know yourself. I'm facilitating the growth and the development and lifelong learning 
and also uh, someone who is looking to uh, start from within, you know, so what is that I need to figure out in order to be able to affect change externally? A lot of leadership development programs and mentoring programs start with the external factor. Okay, I want to get a promotion. I want to do, the, you know, and which are valid, valid goals. Mm -hmm. It's more like, yes, in order for you to get the promotion, let's figure out what's happening here. You know, it's not my boss or the, you know, the system or the, you know, the programs are not conducive to, yes, I get it. There's a lot of systemic issues that are, that are not helpful, but let's start with you first. Because if your mindset is of lack, if your mindset is of limitation, if your mindset is of not being resourceful, you're not going to be looking open to the opportunities. They may be right in front of you. Anna, I'm going to throw you this major, major like, wait, wait, I mean, like the season of baseball is like, you know, somewhat trying to get on its way. So I'm going to throw you some major balls. Um, you were, you experienced 9-11. Ten years ago, the world of the economy changed. And right now we're in a pandemic. You have senior level people that are that were micromanagers and now they don't have their their staff in front of them. You have individuals that didn't like their jobs before and all of a sudden now they're home and they feel a little bit more reserved where I can do my job without having someone like breathing over my neck or like just a competition of my team. Uh, we have the individuals that were like, hey, I'm right there. Look, I'm a team player. And you realize they're not a team player at home. You have the college students that have no idea what's going on. So you've been through three massive massive moments of history i go and you like literally like um and coming from from peru and you're dealing with all these individuals of all ages dealing with these historical moments as well what would you say what would you do how do you handle that oh <laughs> uh, if i if i could bottle that and you know mass produce it right um it is there are two, there, I'll give you two answers because there are two sides. Is that um, people are feeling um, very uncomfortable and very uh, disjointed, overwhelmed. So, so for those folks, uh, I will just, it's almost, we need to slow it down even more. And, and because the more panicky, the more overwhelmed, you, it just feeds that. You know, there's research, there's scientific research that says that when you are in you know, heightened alert, when you are always stressed out, you cannot think clearly, you cannot make decisions. So if you wanna deal with employees or, or your boss or, or things at home, the first thing you have to retreat, self, the self-care is, is a term that is used often, but it's, it's needed and, and it depends on how you, how you do it. Sleep, I mean, the basic, this has been said so many times, but I think that the issue is that people, oh yeah, 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 I have to do that, but they think that they are, they're invincible, right? There is, yeah, you may need sleep, but I'm good, I can, you know, there is a, there is a culture of, of being invincible that, and multitaskers and, and everything that's happening, the pandemics, the, the racial inequalities is all telling us is not working and we keep resisting it. So to them, I said, step it down a notch and find a way to you know the 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 uh the people say breathe is is so true it's the answer is so simple that we we're so used to complicated solutions when the answer is so simple it's just and and i speak from experience i've been through my own chaos which probably you will ask me too <laughs> uh but 
And when yesterday I was having a moment and I'm like, okay, why do I tell my clients? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's gather yourself, you know, the oxygen mask first on you before the other person. Right. So I say that all the time. Basic. I say that all the time. So basic is not. And the other thing I would add, if you're kind of like, Oh, one thing that has worked for my clients and myself is, laughter and music there is something about music and laughter that it switches you know it switches you it's almost like it disrupts whatever funk you're in you know so if you can like okay maybe instinctively you can just play whatever playlist you have and that will immediately switch your mood even if you cannot sit down and breathe it may just move you around a little and that will calm you down you know, so so that is is a basic is not anything strategic is not it's just we're first of all we're humans mm -hmm. and we need to breathe we need to be our stress levels need to be lower in order for us to function the most effectively we can um, what did the pandemic do for you and your company um, it started in March um, it started before March but it, we started getting wind of it. So like mid-March, end of March, oh my God, the world has changed. Um, and now as we're moving towards like opening, closing, opening, closing, I mean, we're going like it, the, the swinging door is ridiculous in regards of like what's happening and 2020, hello, you have us all on alert. So what happened to your company and how did you engage with your customers at this time? Oh, what did, well, what didn't happen? <laughs> it is, it was, you know, the short answer is that operations stopped for two reasons. One, people were in, you know, hunker down mode, right? We got to go home. We, we cannot deal with external anything, suppliers, vendors. We got to just kind of the day to day, right? And so, so operations stopped. Uh, and two, also uh, my whole home dynamic changed because now my son was at home, my husband was working from home. So those two factors kind of created ma massive change within my own day-to-day, -day, right? So I was, um, I had to regroup. I had to regroup my, you know, my, myself and the people that work with me, just what are we gonna do? What are we gonna be, wh where are we going? And the first thing I did is first, again, trying to model what, what I, share with my clients is okay checking in with me trying to and and i i tend to do um i tend to go and take care of things before i take care of myself that is me i am working on it and so i'm like you know caregiver 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 everybody has laundry food you know the, the basics and maybe if i you know if i slept some or not whatever so it was that was kind of catching myself not doing that too much that was like the first basics thing. And in terms of my clients, what I did um, is I connected, I reached out to each one of them individually, not only my clients, but also the people, the professional network, the ones that I had been working with in the immediate, you know, uh, past, just kind of checking in on them uh, and just see being very casual because some people need to retreat and they just, you know, shut down and I can't talk right now. And I totally get that. Um, so that's what I did. And because 
part of being a leader, part of being a, a, an effective mentor is to have relationships, to, to be in relational mode. So to me, that was, I want, I said, I'm not asking for business, you know, how are you? How is your family? You know, if you want to talk, you know, that's, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to be a, to have coaching skills so that I can talk people through things. Not a therapist, but a coaching is, you know, is a, a close second. Uh, and um, that is how I approach day by day. Some people will trickle in. We had a chat. I gather a group of colleagues, coaches, we were about, 30 of us, we gathered via Zoom and, you know, I, I, it was, I love to build community. So to me, it's like, okay, let's get together. We did a doodle poll and okay, we got two groups going and everybody was so excited. So, so try to check in on each other. Um, so that is what I started to do. Business was difficult. There was nothing. I mean, March, April, May, June, we're starting to see something. We went through the whole PPP process to get things moving. Uh, and again, I started to think, what else can I do, right? So I applied for a zero interest loan through Kiva. And I was able to, in less than a week, was able to secure $15,000, a zero interest from about 250 lenders. So that's something that I, because I wanted some capital coming in so that I could keep working uh, on transitioning my, my work into an online platform. So that's what has been going on. So being first, just kind of making sure everything is okay. And then, okay, now that we're okay, where do we move? Where do we go? Right. And I also outsource some of the uh, household stuff. Like we have a laundry service. We have, you know, we have, um, we do some more uh, meals outside or, you know, takeouts and things so that I can really refocus because there is less, less available uh, assistance from the outside, right? So, so there are ways to, you almost have to delegate, reallocate, you know, and make decisions and, and, and do it while you're, and then see how, it's almost like the agile philosophy. You do it, you regroup and then pivot again and pivot again if you need to, right? And, and it's an ongoing process. So how, in, 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 in a very con concise way, how would you say the industry is doing? I mean, okay, you, you are, I mean, you're seeing what Bain Capital and McKenzie, they're all writing in your ana former analysis. You're seeing that everyone's focusing on the coaching, the education, people are trying to like better themselves. What do you see this means for the industry in itself in a concise way? For the industry of uh, leadership development, you mean? Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's a moment of transition because um, it's not only about transitioning into the, the platform of learning platform, it's also about the content. So it's transition with, with a way of reassessing what are the primary factors of, of the content. So in this case, we've, uh, you know, it's not only the pandemic, but it's also all the racial inequities that we are, you know, are surfacing again. They've never been gone. It's just, so how are, how are leaders, how are companies bringing that into the conversation in a way that is constant, not just a one and done diversity and inclusion talk. So that is, is, is transitioning with the, with the expectation of transforming the whole conversation, the whole way, the whole uh, priority of, of, the, of the industry. 
So do you feel that more people will spend, I mean, like if you go to events, you go to conferences, um, now obviously not so much so, and you see that one little section about like, you know, personal branding, marketing, um, yourself, um, taking care of like, you know, like the whole entire life work balance. Um, do you see that they'll, this will, this situation will bring more attention and more um, engagement with your, like having that self growth for your for your individuals and your company for them to grow? I mean, do you see that? this entire time where now leaders are at home and they're watching the individual, they're seeing the inequalities of their employees because they can see their, their homes. Do you see that there's going to be, Oh wait, the company cannot continue to succeed without more attention in our staff, within our staff or within our leaders. Do you see that more people will invest the dollars for that? That is the hope. That is my hope. Here. <laughs> that is my hope. I'm a little skeptical, I have to tell you, because the history tells us, right? I mean, you think of metrics, we're talking about metrics and data points, that companies tend to be reactive. And what's happening is that now, because of all the issues that have surfaced, now people are centered as racism and other, other issues, uh, but it's a reaction to the public outcry. So I'm skeptical. Uh, the way to turn that around is historically been in if you are able to showcase and highlight the business case like in the case of the washington uh, football company that is renaming their team right why are they doing that now because fedex pepsi and other companies are pulling their advertising dollars so if you hit them into the you hit them in the business in that where the core of their business which is profits that's when people, companies really pay attention. That's, that's a big picture. I want you to hone down to what you're focusing on. Like with the industry as in that one-on-one -on -one individual, how to make sure, I mean, what, I mean, what do you believe or how do you think companies will start focusing on the individuals in the company? I mean, again, these, there's the big pictures of what's happening with these big companies because of the racism, um, because of the inequalities. Yes, but one-on-one, -on -one, you have a small business. And we are, I go, I work with only small businesses. Small businesses can see what's happening, but those are large or organizations that right. don't know how to pivot as well as we know how to pivot. So what do you see for companies um, caring or maybe not caring? I mean, but what do you see as in the evolution of taking care or investing in the individuals that are in your individuals company growing? Well, um, I, I believe that they are, they're going to be, they're not, um, they may invest in certain individuals, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the profit issue because the, the focus is always on the big picture and they, they neglect the one-on-one. -on -one. There is a perception in some circles that people are replaceable. You know, there's unemployment. We, oh, we can get, now actually what I've heard is like, you know, now that it's a global platform, we can get people from everywhere. They can just work remotely from Tinkbook mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. So, so they're, they're, that, is, that is a bit of an Achilles heel for, for a recruiter or a hiring manager to think that, oh, if this person, because he's having an issue, they don't feel included, well, I can just get this other person. There's mm -hmm. turnover costs, there is onboarding costs, and um, that is not addressing the issue. They may still treat this new person in a way that is not inclusive. So, so there is a, a missing opportunity in there to be able to do it. And I am not 
I am not 100% sure they still see that, that value. So there's a lot of education on our part as, as leadership development practitioners and service providers to educate now, but there's also pushback and resistance. I've worked with companies that, you know, I've done hundreds, I've done trainings to hundreds, the whole company uh, on different issues of equity and inclusion. And it's always, that's not me, it's someone else. You know, there's this, so, so there is a lot of resistance that, that in, our, in our business, we, we still need to, to deal with. I have two, two last questions for you. Um, during this time, um, how have, what have you added to your company that you would have never thought about adding before? Like now that you, we've had, we have this abundance of, abundance of time and we have a little bit more moments to think it out where like, oh, I wanted to do this, like, but I didn't have it in my plan for at least a year or two or six months or whatever. What's something that you have added to your company that you would have never thought about adding right now? Well, is the one thing that comes to mind right off the bat. I've made many different changes, you know, operational and systems. I'm still working on different things. Is um, I'm adding, I'm showing up every day as I'm moving into, you know, my, my platform online with a sense of excitement and fun. I rem I've been so, and I wonder if other small business owners we're so preoccupied with the numbers, which I still do, right? Look at the numbers, look at the opportunities that, you know, the um, client development and so forth. But it's like, okay, very serious, right? We're serious business owners. And I sometimes that restricts me, okay? And when I have to worry about other things and now the care and this, I'm showing up now a little bit more relaxed, more, you know, lo looser and just in, getting this fun factor in which is so silly you know because i've always had it i'm silly with my son we have dance parties and so forth but i'm bringing that in and it makes me more creative it makes me it, it, it shows up in my coaching people are like oh my god you know really i really enjoy talking to you and i'm like well i've been doing that for a while but this time so it is it costs nothing it's just more of a mindset shift you know or being more aware right and it may be the integration of home and business, right? Mm -hmm. Before it's like you separated. So I'm at home. I'm this. I'm my goofy self. I'm a business. Now I have to. Why? It's the same person. Um, I uh, I um, remember going to an event and um, there was like it was like a financial event and this young lady um, asked this uh, a seasoned I'm going to say a seasoned person on the platform. She's like, I go, how do I? Um, bring myself to the table so that way I'm able to be myself, my true self, and do my job in the most effective way. And the person at the table said to her, um, no, you have to be very, very, it's very, very serious what you do. So you have to be your clear business person and your clear, um, your clear personal person. And I was so horrified by that comment that, the, and you'd see this young woman was just so broken. And she, during the break, she went to the bathroom and I, I literally went, I followed her to the bathroom and said, I'm like, okay. Let me give you the real answer to that. I'm like, I go, you have to be who you are. I mean, 120% because no one wants to hire a bunch of robots. They want to hire individuals that stand out. And so I was like, I brought a smile to her face and I made it fun for her. And I, I mean, I have no idea where she is in this world, but I hope that she was able to hear both sides and then take that and then just walk away saying, all right, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and be happy with it. All right. So my last question is, if you had an ask, um, a professional ask and a personal ask of anyone that's listening to you right now, 
what will be your personal ask and what will be your professional ask? My personal ask is that um, anyone, depending on if you're a business owner or a, a parent or a, you know, up and coming young adult in anywhere in the world, that just make sure you keep that sense of hope that things are getting better and how you're going to contribute to that. Not by judging, not by work on yourself, like we've talked about, and, and then, but from a place of hope, because things are going to get better, because I can influence my community. So that sense of hope is critical. We, we're getting, we get out of it, and, and then things look really dark. And professionally, uh, I want to say uh, that there are many opportunities for all of us to collaborate. You know, if there are any other leadership development and mentoring development professionals, business owners, anybody who's interested in the topic, hit me up because there's opportunities for everybody. I believe that the pie is immense, is, is you know, infinite. There's no, there's more of, I believe in collaboration more than competition. Uh, so if anybody is interested in, in sharing ideas, collaborating, partnering, you know, and just chatting, I'm here. I love it. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I love that we have um, Peru in common because I mean, you're from Peru. Peru is one of my favorite places I've ever been to. I mean, I think I'm like one of the only people, I shouldn't say the only, but very small group of people that have gone to Lake, Tiki, Lake Titicaca. Oh my God, I haven't been. <laughs> I, what? No. Oh my gosh, it's by far one of my favorite places. I mean, the altitude sickness was real. It was so, oh, yeah. and I, it broke my heart because of that. Because everyone goes to Machu Picchu, but um, and it's a great. I mean, like I mean, and I even with Machu Picchu, where I'm like, okay, I go there's Wano Picchu, and everyone's like, what do you mean? I go, it's the very top of well, when you're at Machu Picchu, and everyone's like, oh my god, I go, they only allow 200 people. So I love that there's the tourist places, and then there's the non-tourist places that people just really should go to, and they're just always afraid because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get sick. I'm like, it's worth its weight in gold. So that's number one, and two, I love that we both got our our MBAs at Babson at a different time. But that's like the whole entire connection of like we're families in different ways. So I like that. And you have a beautiful son. You have an amazing husband. And I love that I haven't seen you in forever, but I do see you. Because again, I don't care what people think about social media. I don't care about the, whether it's the LinkedIn or it keeps us in touch and aware what's going on. And so I get to see that beautiful boy of yours online whenever you post a photo. Oh, yes. I love, I, I also, I keep track of you by social media i know you've been in mexico you were in bahrain you know i'll be i'm i'm trying to get your book in my library here so we definitely have to talk i mean there's so much oh my a full a full 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 catch up we'll do a full catch up on the phone but then we're going to do a full catch up we have to see each other because i want to see him absolutely, absolutely. i want to see that we we'll that pretty team that you have at home <laughs> oh this is great thank you so oh. much